welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Father John here at uh, St. Joseph's Parish House uh, with a very special edition tonight of uh, Catholic Stuff You Should Know. I'm welcoming uh, two of my guys from uh, the lovely, uh, sprawling metropolis of uh, Phoenix, Father Kevin Pankowski and, uh, well, proto-deacon, soon-to-be deacon, Andrew Olson. Cheers, boys. Welcome. Glory to God. It's good to be here. Kev, uh, Father Kevin, uh, when I first showed up back from Rome, uh, so this is over two years ago, uh, he was my first deacon, so he had to break me in, and he is back for a visit. And uh, I've been off the wagon uh, the last six weeks on the podcast, and uh, there's been some things going on here at the uh, seminary, and I've been some travel. Uh, and I am just happy. I was like, hey, let's just podcast tonight. When you called me, you threw me for an absolute loop. I did this call. I'm in Phoenix. I'm in my... I'm in my PJs, just in the middle of prayer. I get a call from Father John. I'm like, hey, he's probably just calling to make sure, like, rides are set, everything's good. And then he says, yeah, by the way, do you want a podcast later today? I mean, this is a, excuse me doing my fan thing here, but this is a fan's dream. There you go. Yep. But on top of that, it's just good to kind of talk to, talk to a brother about the beauty of, of the Lord and talk to those who are receiving this podcast from the depths of our heart. That's right. Uh, on a topic that you uh, do not yet know. and uh, Yeah, no, I'm still a little salty about that. Andrew, uh, who's on his right, who we're going to kind of uh, bop in and out here, um, has survived. He's now in his second year of uh, purgative, the purgative way uh, under my care here at St. Joseph's House. And so the topic, uh, which we'll get to, of course, we gotta we got to kind of warm up a little bit and uh, banter, get some bourbon in us. Um, but it kind of involves guys at different stages of life, and that's why I want, I want some different perspectives here, so that's why you have been uh, enlisted into this uh, endeavor. And uh, I have yeah. been offered as tribute, apparently. Yes, exactly, but with, uh, with the promise of good bourbon. So uh, first thing is, Kev, I feel like the last time we were together, uh, it was COVID, right? Yeah, it was the, the spring of, of the first spring of COVID, um, and I remember being up late. We had this insane puzzle uh, of England. Do you remember this? Oh my god! And I, it, I'm not a puzzle guy, but we got we were doing puzzles because the whole house. Everybody was, was just trying to stay sane. Uh, but this puzzle, I we we had like crushed a few. You know, it's like the underwater one with all the fish. Like knock that out, and then like whatever. And then we got to this one of London that my mom gave us, and I just I couldn't. Couldn't break through it. How many pieces was it? Was it like 1,000? I think it was 1,000, yeah. Because yeah. I was looking at it, and like the pieces are, what, a centimeter square inch. They, yeah. I don't even know. But we were desperately trying to finish it because they sped up the, the semester. Since we weren't going home for Easter, they were going to let us out two weeks early. And, you know, with all of the Triduum being done here, which you put on my lap which was awesome and terrifying at the same time. Doing all of this, we were just, like you said, trying to stay sane. But I think at the end of it, we were just 
done with the puzzle and we were just wanting to go home. And one of the things that got us through the puzzle was um, you were, it was like midnight. I'm like obsessively staring at this thing <laughs> still. And you come in and you're like, I know what will get you going. And you take your headphones off and put them on my head. And it was some crazy symphonic metal. Do you remember this? And I was just no, like, I do. You're like, let's do this. Um, and so Father I, Kevin is a, con- think, is a connoisseur of metal. No, I think it was Nightwish. I think I was playing Dead to the World. Oh, yeah. Only guy, still the only guy in my Mariology class to write his paper. I not, knew not you on were going to say that. Not on a piece of literature, but on a, a symphonic metal piece. With your approval, which was a great, it was say. a great, it was a great paper. Yeah, I, I actually shared it with with Andrew here, and I still think that my favorite line I've ever written is in that paper. Uh, for the listeners who may not be aware of this band, it's a Canadian band named Unleash the Archers, and they put out two albums which had the premise of a storyline. And the the main point of this was to introduce two characters. One character, the protagonist, is called the Immortal, kind of cursed to be a slave of the one who wakes him, and then the matriarch, who's kind of the big bad person in this whole series. Well, the song that I chose, because you said compare and contrast, and I just decided to do a contrast, was the matriarch with Our Lady. And the line was that the womb of the Blessed Virgin is given as a home for all that she recognizes her Christ being brought to full stature. However, the womb of the matriarch is nothing but the antechamber to the guillotine. Because the whole point of this album was she birthed four sons so that way she could sacrifice them and attain eternal life. And then I saw the immediate connection with Christ and Mary, and I'm just like, Um, this is is too good to pass up. You know, there's always one listener who like will know this this metal song and be freaking out right now. Yeah, no, they're they're going to be so happy about this. Everyone else is just shaking their head in shame. Exactly. No, so um yeah, uh you were ordained shortly after that, headed back to Phoenix. Um uh, but you'll be happy to know that um the kind of metal connoisseurs of Phoenix seminarians continues in Andrew Olson on your right here. We were wa- we were driving in uh 2 weeks ago. I forget. And you were like, do you know prog metal? And, yes! and this is how much I know. You got to talk into the microphone though. I wasn't going to speak. You asked me about prog metal. I, I did not inquire. Okay. So I asked about it. Uh, to show how much I knew prog metal, I thought P-R-A-G-U-E, prog metal. And he was like, no, 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 this is progressive metal. And I said, can you give me a basic sense of what is distinctive about this? Uh, and he literally, as you know, like you, like walking Wikipedia pages on these topics, and it was like this unbelievable breakdown of all the kind of genres and subdivisions and categories and the whole kind of, you know, the geschichte of, of modern-day metal. And I was like, this is, this is serious, man. This is impressive. Well, that's Andrew for you. Just, just basic Andrew is understanding everything to a minute detail and then just absorbing it into himself. What was that band that you were really, really loving? Really good bassist. I'm going to need more information. Um, the one you were disappointed about with their latest album. The one that kind of went off the rails a little bit when went to dark territory. Metallica. No. 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 <laughs> we'll come back. We'll, you we'll think, come back you think to that. On that but, 
But anyways, it's just good to know that um, your your legacy continues here, Kev. My Uh, legacy lives on. So tell us a little bit about, uh, you've been ordained now for a year and a half. Mm -hmm. So what's it been like? What has it not been like? Um, I think that's the easier question. I think the, to sum it up in a way, it's been a whirlwind of understanding I am not in control. And I think every priest understands what that means. I think we just try to do the best we can. We just try to pray. We try to be faithful to the Lord. And then we introduce people to the Lord that we love. And that's, if you don't have that, you don't have priesthood at all. Um, So I've been assigned to St. Henry's Catholic Church in Buckeye, Arizona, which we affectionately call East L.A. because there is nothing between us and the California border, pretty much. So... We're just kind of going, going strong. Uh, the pastor, Father, Bi- Father Billy Costo, is a wonderful priest. He's been ordained 21 years. Um, and Which people will probably know more about him than prog metal just because of a very famous homily he gave yes, about yes. Um, certain politicians. and uh, Certain politicians, yeah. certain... It went viral. Uh, yeah, no, he didn't, he didn't yeah. believe it would go viral. Yeah. I was there not only in the sacristy listening to it uh, when he delivered it, but I was there when it was uploaded. And within the first, what, 24, 48 hours, I already had 4,000 views, um, 10,000 likes, I think, were, were coming up quickly by the end of the week. And he's like, oh, it's not going to go viral. It's like, Father, this is viral. Yeah. I'm sorry to tell you, but your quaint little refuge that is Buckeye no longer exists. Yep. Um, You're on, Buckeye's on the map. Buckeye is on the map, uh, and it's also really fun because Father Billy is eclectic, is the best way to describe him. When I first arrived, we're going to kind of keep the metal theme going here. When I first arrived, I parked outside of the new rectory, and there he is. He's working on his 1980 Toyota. um, It's a Toyota truck. Uh, I think it's, uh, I can't even remember. But he's working on it, and he's listening to Metallica, just blaring out of the garage. He's got wrenches everywhere, grease all over him, a beer in hand, and he looks at me and says, welcome home. Nice. And that's where I've been. That's where I've been. And it's been a beautiful community, about 60% Hispanic, so a lot of Spanish ministry. And it's just been awesome just to be able to actually put what I've learned here in seminary, and people are hungry. People yeah. are hungry for the truth. Um, it reminds me of what Augustine said, let us be your books. So I try to keep up with my studies. I try to keep up with just good reading. I need to do more of it, but it's, I can't ask for more. I mean, I, if you want specifics, we need to ask questions. But yeah, that's great. It's just beautiful. I, uh, I'm starting to think, you know, working with you guys and, and a bunch of different dioceses in seminary work, I'm starting to think that like every diocese kind of is a genre of music. For example, last week I was talking to Father Josh Mayer from Gallup and I was like, Gallup is like indie. Yep, yep, it's like a, It's totally indie. You guys are kind of metal, like in Phoenix. There's like an edge and it's like, you know, uh, oh. kind of punk. Uh, and there are, it's like people who are explicitly like, yeah, we're metal symphonic prog whatever and then there are people who are like we're not punk but they're actually totally punk like father ian wintering classic example you know yeah up in flag 
But so. I will say, I think it's also because we're so young. Yeah. I think we, we still have the little dog syndrome, where if we're picked up, we think we're bigger than the other dogs. But I also think that we have just been so blessed by good priests, our awesome bishop, yep. um, and the ability just to love. Like we're, we're still learning what it means. Yeah. I don't think that journey will ever end. And just to see the presbyterate and in Phoenix flourishing and to see the Lord just kind of moving in is daily. It's a gift. It's a gift to see someone finally get it. Yeah. It's a gift to finally see someone understand that sin does not have the last say, that the mercy of God has the last say. And it's just, I think priesthood can be best defined as priests are unworthy bystanders. We just simply sit back and watch the Lord work. Love it. Love it. I, um, it's great to have you back. It's good to be You back. are, uh, you know, you, you young guys come back. You give him hope uh, coming down the, in the throes of uh, second theology in the kind of wasteland of mid-theology, pre-diaconate. Um, and then the old dogs like myself, you know, uh, you guys bring such a freshness. So I think you're going to bring that these next few days. So we're great to have you back. Uh, the topic, though, is not metal. I'm sorry. And it's oh, not something that you're, on the surface, you're not particularly interested. Tonight, we're talking about bicycles. And I don't believe that either of you are particularly interested in bicycles. This is your topic. Yes. But fortunately, it really doesn't have to do with bicycles. What I'm looking at is a very short essay that I came across, thanks to Father Brady Wagner, um, by C.S. Lewis. And it's called Talking About Bicycles. The story is this. Two guys are sitting in a bar in a pub, and they're having a conversation. And it starts, and this is how Lewis starts it. Talking about bicycles, said my friend, I have been through four ages. I can remember a time in early childhood when a bicycle meant nothing to me. It was just a part of the huge, meaningless backdrop of grown-up gadgets against which life went on. Then came a time when, I ha- when to have a bicycle and to, learn, and to have learned to ride it and to be at last spinning along on one's own, early in the morning, under trees, in and out of the shadows, was like entering paradise. That apparently effort, effortless and frictionless gliding, more like swimming than any other motion, but really more, most like the discovery of the fifth element that seemed to me to solve the secret of life. Now one would be, begin to be happy, but of course I soon reached the third period, pedaling to and fro, and for, fro school, uh, it was one of those journeys that felt uphill both ways, in all weathers, soon revealed the pros of cycling. The bicycle itself became to me what his oar is to the galley slave. So Lewis lays out here the story of bicycles. His, his friend then asks, what of the fourth age? That fourth round. And he says, I'm in it now, or rather I'm frequently in it. I have had to go back to cycling lately now that there's no car. And just as jobs are often dull enough, Again and again, the mere fact of riding brings back that delicious whiff of memory. I recover the feelings of the second age. What's more, I see how truly they are, how philosophical even. So, what is Lewis talking about here? Andrew and I and the guys in the house uh, had this conversation. We started doing something called Paideia Nights. So, uh, community night once a month or every other month. Um, We just pick a topic that is more human, kind of reflecting on the human experience of the Christian life, uh, the human experience of seminary and priestly life. And I wanted to do this topic with you two because you have the old priest, the young priest, and the kind of, I don't know, are you old seminarian or are you old-ish? But not, 
You feel old, old soul. But yeah, yeah, kind of middle-aged seminarian, exactly. So um, probably like a sophomore in high school, right? You're you're getting close, but you're not. There you go, exactly. So what Lewis says is the the story about the bicycle, talking about bicycles, it reveals this deeper thing that in life there are four ages to nearly everything. He says the bicycle is just one instance. The ages are this: the unenchanted age, the enchanted age, the disenchanted age and the re-enchanted age. Hmm. And so Lewis kind of sets this up in this short essay, um, which, again, we, and Andrew, you and I, we spoke about this in a, in a simpler context with the guys, that you go through life unenchanted, enchanted, disenchanted, and then re-enchanted. And the key is to acknowledge these in every stage and to allow yourself to pass through them. All right. So we'll stop there. Any initial thoughts from either of you on that? I feel like I go through through this on a daily basis. Um, Moving from disenchanted to enchanted to falling out of enchantment again and then back into enchantment, I think that's just, like you said, it's part of the human condition. Uh, You see this with the first fervor of love between a couple. You see this with the first fervor of love with a convert. You see this with the first fervor of love with a priest. And then the daily grind comes. So I, I can definitely relate to this on, on a very personal level. Um, I won't say I'm disenchanted, but there have been disenchanting moments already in my one and a half years of priesthood. So I actually really like that, that analogy. Yeah, it's helpful. And actually, as you said about marriage, he says... Um, his friend then says, go on, tell me more. What are some of the other applications? And he said, and Lewis says, I suppose the most obvious is love. We all remember the unenchanted age. There was a time when women meant nothing to us. Then we fell in love. That, of course, was the enchantment. Then in the middle or in the earlier middle years of marriage, there came, well, disenchantment. All the promises had turned out in a way false. No woman could be expected. The thing was impossible. I don't mean any disrespect here, either to my own wife or to yours, but, and then his friend cuts him off, and they continue on. Kind of, it's a good thing. And he says, but the key is, in marriage, to arrive at a re-enchantment, which is different than enchantment, because it has to pass through that disenchantment. So, Andrew, I know you don't want to speak tonight, but... We're, we're sharing a mic over here. You got to lean in. I know you get get real friendly Is this there. Loud enough here. Yeah, you're good there. Yeah, I don't have a headset either. Uh, uh, no, I mean, being in formation as we speak, I, I think I, I personally, at least for myself, I, I encounter disenchantment probably more than I'd like to admit. Um, but even just what you were reading initially, the first, th- the immediate thing I thought of was the beginning of uh, Chesterton's Everlasting Man, because he's talking about what does it look like to bring someone to the faith, but even more importantly, bring um, a lifelong Catholic or a longtime Catholic uh, back to the faith that's fallen away from it. And he describes it as, he says, like, it's counterintuitive, but you need to actually drag the lifelong Catholic away from the church and get them as far away from it as you can, mm. because then you turn them around and they see the city on the hill. Uh, and he, his example, his analogy he uses is uh, the horse and how mankind, we've, we've, found a way to use this animal in an incredible way and the early stages of that must have been so exhilarating to be able to to break in um, this wild animal and be able to use it for all these different um, uh, cases, right? 
Uh, but then over time, we kind of hit that disenchantment of like, well, yeah, like everyone has a horse, whatever, you know. Um, and he says like, but if you can get someone to suddenly stop and think about how crazy it is that we can ride a horse and how crazy it is that we can get from one place to another using a horse or pull a heavy cart, you know, using this and actually get them to stop and think about um, how amazing that is that we're able to do that and to look at it with fresh eyes like a child again, suddenly horseback riding becomes very interesting again um, and it becomes something new and exciting even though it's not new um, and for some people not that exciting, you know. Uh, and so in the same way, Chesterton brings it back and he says, you know, the disenchanted Catholic needs to be taken further away because if they're in the midst of that city, of, of the church, looking around, it's like looking at a small frame, a small like square inch of uh, like a Monet painting and just looks like nonsense. It's just a bunch of random paint and streaks. But if you actually step back and look at the whole thing and you actually get a view of the whole painting, suddenly that's a pond. Suddenly there's beauty. Suddenly there's life there. Um, and so he says like, it doesn't make a lot of sense on paper, but actually taking someone further from the church to be able to get them to see it um, with a much wider perspective actually re-enchants them. Uh, it makes them fascinated by how incredible uh, this foundational thing is. Um, and being stuck out, it's being stuck in the middle of it is what causes that disenchantment of, um, and if I were to bring it back to the seminary thing, it's like, yeah, the daily grind of like, oh, I gotta get up, I gotta go, you know, do my holy hour and go to classes, and then we have this, and then we have that, and then community night, and I gotta go to my formation meeting with Father John. Yeah, and the worst, you know, I know. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> but like each step of that um, individually suddenly becomes this lull, becomes this grind, becomes this just another thing I have to check off my daily list. Um, and at my better moments in seminary, I've been able to step back and actually look at it and say, how the heck did I get here? You know, like, God is amazing. He's been able to guide me into something I never thought I'd be doing with my life. Uh, to suddenly look at that with fresh eyes and to have this appreciation for uh, even the smallest things, like, you know, washing the dishes after dinner for the house or uh, getting into an argument with another seminarian. Those little things, they help us grow. Uh, but isolated, those things become extremely disenchanting. Yeah. I, that's well said. And I, I you know... One of the things we've been talking about is it's actually really important for guys to pass through enchantment, disenchantment in seminary. Um, the temptation is to try and stay enchanted. Absolutely. And, and we see this in, again, something Andrew and I have talked a lot about over the last few years of like the kind of weirdness when, when things get stale or people get stuck in kinds of, it can be traditionalism, it can be kind of charismatic, it can be just a kind of being Catholic, that God wants to move you through that. And especially in a time when authority, hierarchy, these things are being, they're just, it's just like this is, we're really disenchanted of it. it, it it's tempting to harden into that. Uh, and in seminary, you get, you get burned. Absolutely. Uh, you get, you know, and I think, and Kevin, I think you are, your ordination day um, and being there with you, as strange as it was in COVID tide, but as beautiful as it was, I was like, this is a man who passed through these phases. Yeah. Just like Andrew is is on his way in that as well. And I think that that's what gives me a lot of hope is if a guy can actually move through that. Yeah, no, and I, I was just kind of reflecting on, on Andrew's, <clears throat> excuse me, on Andrew's kind of discussion of, his daily life in the seminary. It's not different in the priesthood. 
you have those days where there is either you've got daily mass, then a funeral, then you've got a meeting at one, then you've got a meeting at two, then randomly some person calls in, they want the anointing of the sick, and then they just bottoms out and there's nothing. And you're just go, 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 and then all of a sudden there's nothing. Yeah. So if you don't remain firmly placed in, in this loving gaze between the Lord and yourself, if you don't remain firmly there, and I'm guilty of this, if you don't remain firmly there, then you, you seek refuge in different things. Um, before I came to St. John Vianney, I was a seminarian at the Josephinum in Columbus, Ohio, and there was a contingent there, um, and most of them worked themselves out of this, but it was being hyper-traditional. Why? Because we found a value in that. We found a value in, in the externals, in the beauty of the liturgy, in the beauty of the prayer, in the beauty of the mystery, all well and good. But if we don't actually pull back and say, I can have the best liturgy in the world, I didn't have all of my books balanced, I didn't have all of my T's crossed, all of my I's dotted, and if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you actually don't have a living relationship with him, then you will fall not only into disenchantment, but into despair. Yeah. And this is, this is the danger. And I think that most often, when people actually work through this in a very healthy way, in, in a communal way, um, I actually just had a conversation with my pastors, and I was telling him, you know, we, we had this beautiful night where we, we did what I called uh, cowboy grilling. We took two random grates, and we made a fire, and we grilled steaks on those grates over the open fire. And I said, why don't we do more of that? And it could be so easy for me to be disenchanted because of how busy the priesthood can be. But I was convicted just in the sight of the Lord to actually be able to say, let's talk about this. Yeah. And he said, absolutely. I think, I think that's a good, it's a good point of like, we can't move. So to be a human being is to move through these phases. Like, that's what happens with bicycles, with women, with vocations, with priesthood. Um, and that's why we need each other. And we really need to be with other people in different stages, in different ages. So if I'm enchanted in my priestly life, I, it's good for me to be around priests who are disenchanted um, or re-enchanted or whatever it might be. Like, um, And I think sometimes we think, we all just have to be super positive and we got to stay enchanted. And, and um, you know, it's like, Andrew, I just need you to just be super positive and just love doing the dishes and just super excited about formation meetings. And you're just like, uh, right. You, yeah, because you're an authentic man. And, uh, and, but I, I think there's a, re there's a kind of relationship because one of the things we were, we've been talking about is what do you do with the guy who is trying to stay enchanted? What do you do with the guy who's trying to stay disenchanted? Like these are real, phenomenon in seminary and in priesthood um and they're they're equally bad like the person who refuses to be disenchanted there's the fruit of it is a kind of um religious enthusiasm mm -hmm. um ronald knox calls it ultra supernaturalism so it's just like but it's a kind of control it's a kind of power over god of like this is my experience this is who god is and this is where i kind of cap it versus the um the the person who never really lets himself move through disenchantment um, 
it ends up in that kind of despair and defeatism, as, as you mentioned earlier. Exactly. And I, I'm looking at this, and I remember when I was ordained a deacon in 2019, a random guy said, what is the one message you want to give when you're ordained and you're preaching? And I didn't even have to think about it. I said, hope. Yeah. Because what actually moves you through these stages, what moves you from unenchanted into enchanted, there's a moment of hope. There's a moment that actually pushes you over that hurdle to encounter something new. What gives you the bravery to go into disenchanted and to go into it well? This is actually Christ picking up his cross. Our Lord wasn't necessarily enchanted with the thought of dying. He begged for it to go. He begged his father to say, take this cup from me. He wasn't enchanted with that. So to actually really embrace the cross, it's a moment of surrender to disenchantment. But then the re-enchantment is the resurrection. Again, hope. It pushes you past another hurdle. Yeah. And I think if we can stay not necessarily in re-enchantment, but if we made that the, you could say, the, the field from which we play, then we can say, okay, I know I'm moving into disenchantment here, and I know how this goes, and I also know that my Lord is with me. And if we're able to do that, then... I don't think we have to fear. I think that we can just say, just like if you're praying and you, you don't hear the Lord speaking and you're just kind of well guided by a spiritual director or by your own knowledge and you say, maybe the Lord's just pulling away a little bit. And the best advice I got when I was a seminarian was in those moments, realize you may see a dead tree in the middle of snow. I mean, we're in Colorado. We see this all the time. But that's the moment where the tree roots actually grow deeper, yeah. searching for water. And that's how we move from disenchantment into re-enchantment, because we hit something new. And that newness is stability. Yeah, that's it. It's a deeper stability. I like your emphasis on hope, too, in the sense that hope is what drives us through. That's what moves us through these different ages. And I, I don't know about your experience, but hope is something I need to be praying for more. It's a theological virtue that mediates between faith and charity and uh, allows us to, to live in the present, to live, as my friend Derry Lynn would say, to, to, to be okay in the tension. And that's what this is, is this is life and tension of the, the movements that I'm not in control. I'm disenchanted, I'm enchanted, I'm re-enchanted, whatever, like, um, and the movement through that. And so hope becomes kind of constitutive. So Go ahead and keep talking, but pause. Andrew, I'm still enchanted by this Aberlore uh, scotch, so uh, give me a little more of that. I, I think I also need a there report. There we go, okay. I'm putting the seminary to work. This is why he's disenchanted. I know, exactly. But absolutely, I mean, I can definitely say from my own experience, like I said, I've been through... Wait, great sound, great sound. There we uh, go. There great we sound. Go. But I, <laughs> I've been through moments of disenchantment. Um I think this comes to a head specifically when you have a priest who understands that he's still a penitent. You know, a lot of the beauty of, of the priestly life is to be able to say, I am dealing with things that fundamentally change the world. I remember when I applied to seminary, my father uh, looked at me dead in the eye and said, remember, you're playing with things that are fundamentally changing the world hmm. and I think it can be really really a disservice for seminarians to 
walk into priesthood and to understand everything's okay. No, you're still sinful. You're still a penitent. And if you allow the enemy to come in and to taunt you with your sin, um, instead of running to the mercy of God day after day after day and just say, yeah, Lord, I'm still broken. I'm doing the best I can. And I was actually just praying about this morning. And I was in adoration and the Lord was just there and the thought occurred to me, you knew every sin I would ever commit and you still called me to priesthood. Why? And it was as if it was a tiny whisper saying, because I love you. That's it. Yeah. It's that moment of reckless abandon. And um, most of your listeners know you guys are part of the Companions of Christ. Right. Well, there's another group that, that's kind of along the same veins, but just maybe a different branch of the shoot of priestly fraternity called Jesu Caritas. My Jesu Caritas group, we take a lot from the spirituality of Blessed Charles de Foucault. And most people who have not looked up this prayer, his prayer to abandonment, um, it's, it's on my lips constantly because of the fact that reckless abandon and hope is what changes things. If charity is the mother and queen of all virtues, hope is the, I think the, the example, I think it was C.S. Lewis or G.K. Chesterton made this example of hope is a little girl that's grabbing her sister's faith and charity and just running full steam. That's Charles Begee. Charles Begee. Yeah. And that's the beautiful image that we need to think about. Because when we're disenchanted, it can be so tempting to just stay there and remain in nihilism. Right. But if we're actually able to run with our younger sister, Hope, who I style in St. Therese, and we just run bold-faced, unwilling to let shame rule the day, that's how saints are made. I think that, that Charles Piggy is probably the, the, it's the portal to the mystery of hope is the name of the, it's a long poem. And that image is, is right on where he has the, the theological virtues as these three sisters and hope is the little one in between. And I'm sure he's thinking about Therese. Um, I know. And he, and, and the, she's the smallest of the three, but she's holding them by the hands and she's the one running them forward and kind of moving them along. It's a really beautiful uh, image. So that, that is worth reading um, if you haven't read it. It has a section on sleep, which somebody was assigned recently to read. Do you remember that? I'm pointing to the seminary. No talk. Okay, sorry. He pleads the fifth. He's like, hey, don't bring up formation stuff on, you know, publicly here on the podcast. But... Um, no, I know. So, uh, but hope, hope is the virtue of those who can sleep. Yes. And he, and he talks about that. And so circling back real quick to what you said earlier, um, locating our experience. So acknowledging where am I at? Which age am I in right now? Um, enchantment is really the transfiguration. Yeah. Disenchantment is the cross and re-enchantment is the resurrection. Absolutely. But we really have to think about and distinguish Jesus does not just call us to the transfiguration. He doesn't just call us to the top of Mount Tabor and say, this is it. This is where you bliss out, but you have to go be disenchanted. Set your face for Jerusalem. And they don't understand that because they're like, this is, we want to stay here. We want to build our tent in enchantment. And what is the whole point of the transfiguration? 
Um, I forget which father said this. I want to say it was Gregory the Great or maybe Leo. Um, but the whole point of the transfiguration was to give hope. Right. Because Jesus literally said right before the transfiguration, by the way, guys, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and then they're going to mock me. They're going to strip me of all dignity. They're going to scourge me. I'm going to be betrayed. And then I'm going to be crucified. It's going to be okay, though, because the Son of Man rules the day. All they heard was the first part. But if you see God as all-powerful, you see him actually moving, moving the pieces, then you can say with reckless abandon again, okay, I've received the transfiguration. I've received that enchantment. For me, um, and you were there, my first Mass, to actually be able to consecrate our Lord for the first time. And Andrew was my, my uh, MC. And the most awkward thing happened. I don't think you saw it. <laughs> so things that people don't think about, um, your hands can cramp in the middle of the consecration. And I had just fractured our Lord in the middle of the chalice, you know, to capture any particles. And then my, my right hand cramped, and then our Lord slipped into the precious blood. It was the biggest ever. <laughs> yeah, it was the biggest fracturing right in the entire history of the church. <laughs> but I could have looked at that, and I could have beaten myself up to a pulp. But I looked at that and I laughed because the Lord knows me in my, in my fragility, in my weakness, in my littleness. And I swear that he probably was laughing, that our Lord was laughing in joy of just my hand cramping over the sacred species. Luckily, there was a giant cross in front of it, so no one saw, but... I remember trying to pick it up and like, what do I do? What do I do? And Andrew's just whispering in my ear, drop it, drop it, drop it, leave it, leave it, leave just it. leave it. Yeah. But it could be so easily in that moment to be disenchanted. But the enchantment was the newness and the freshness. And the disenchantment is when you have to wake up super early because all of the deacons are on vacation and you're the one who has to unlock the church, and then nothing's in its place in the sacristy, and people are asking everything from you, and you're unable to prepare for Mass, and you get into the back of the church, and all of a sudden you're processing up, and you realize, I don't have my microphone. And it can be so easy to just say, burn it all to the ground, I'm done. But if we remain there, it's okay to acknowledge it, but I remember going up to the altar and just reverencing the altar and just saying, Lord, this is where I'm at. I'm leaving it here. Part of my participation in the Mass today, nothing's going right. Let's do this. That's beautiful. All right, I'm going to take it a different direction here in a second to close us out. Um, but any thoughts, Andrew, before we uh, give us a thought here before? I think one distinction that is worth making is that disenchantment and spiritual desolation are not the same thing. Uh, I think some of the some of the best moments I've had in seminary have been during disenchantment kind of phases, um, and despite that, still being in consolation and actually finding graces within that disenchantment. And I've had plenty of enchanted 
periods where I'm in desolation. Um, so they're, they're, they don't come hand in hand, uh, even the, despite the wording. I think it could be confused easily that way. So I think that's it's worth making that distinction. Yeah, that that's good. Those are very different things. Um, and despite the negative connotations of desolation and disenchantment, I don't think they, they come together. Uh, in fact, because I, I think, you know, Ignatius says with consolation and desolation that, you know, they're, they're, there's something that can be found there still, you know, in, you know, despite any of what's going on. And I think the same thing applies to disenchantment or enchantment or reenchantment or, or whatever is, um, it, it, I think we can kind of almost fool ourselves into a victim complex uh, when we're in desolation or if we're disenchanted of kind of a, oh, woe is me, you're fishing for pity from your peers around you, you know, look at me, I'm such a martyr. Uh, I'm suffering so much or whatever, but instead to kind of live each day in that disenchantment um, and still finding something worth the time there because kind of going back to what you said earlier, Father uh, Father John, two of you guys, uh, is, you know, is being around people of kind of the opposite mode, if you will, uh, it seems to actually complement it very well because um, at least for my part, I don't like being around the happy-go-lucky everything shiny and beautiful all the time kind of guy. Uh, but I also realize I need that guy around me, especially when I'm like, nothing is beautiful and nothing is shiny and everything right. is terrible. Right. And everything is broken and nothing works, you know? But but to have that guy that is able to kind of laugh at me uh, genuinely and offer a different perspective, even though I'm kicking and screaming and saying, leave me alone, you know? Uh, and I say this through gritted teeth, of course, because it's like, it's hard, but you need that... Uh, contrast happening or else all that's left is the disenchantment or all that's left is the enchantment um and then it turns into a, a fantasy at that point and you never get out of it yeah yeah that's that that's it I, there's so many different levels to the the interior life so what we're speaking about is kind of one one way one movement but consolation desolation is something that god is doing or permitting within the soul there's also just like certain people just glasses half empty some people glasses half full. I mean, it's just you know. So there is there's also kind of a temperamental or disposition thing, um, as well. The pillar, um, and this is kind of moving it in this direction here for our final few minutes. Just did a uh, put out a study this morning uh, on kind of the state of religion in the United States, and it, this follows on a number of these Gallup polls and different things. And we know the 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 kind of fundamental religion that is emerging at the fastest pace in the United States is the phenomenon of the non, N-O-N-E, or the nun, N-O-N-E, the people who check the box. My religious affiliation is none. Um, I didn't have you for fundamental theology. I have had Andrew, and so he knows that I'm really preoccupied and really interested in what is happening because our Catholic kids are becoming nuns. Like one in three in the United States are disaffiliating. And this is all the sacraments, Catholic school, the mm -hmm. whole bit. Uh, one in two in the Mountain West. So our diocese are more secular uh, in terms of this. And, and one of the, the things I've posed to the guys in class, and I want to get your guys' thoughts on this, is there's really two kinds of nuns. There's unenchanted and there's disenchanted. So many, many of the people that we meet are simply unenchanted by the God question. What's crazy about this study, the pillar is this great news source, if you haven't seen it, and they, they just put this thing out. What's, what's crazy and really startling is that the, the, as you go into the most recent generation, so kids that were born like 
in the 2000s, what they're checking, what, what, what's emerging is not so much I'm an agnostic and I'm an atheist. It's just this question is totally irrelevant. Yeah. And that, that was what they're checking. So that's unenchantment. This, the bicycle doesn't matter. Like, um, you know, it's part of, as, as Lewis says so well, it's just sitting in the garage. Like, the God question literally doesn't matter. I was trying to read uh, uh, Andrea Polito's um, paper today, and this pack of eight, like, freshman girls walked into the coffee shop, and they were just, rah, 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 and I was just like, I wonder if the God question is even remotely relevant to them. Hmm. I don't think it is. Um, that's different than the disenchanted Catholic who had a terrible experience, whatever, in the parish or uh, in his marriage prep or whatever, who has become a nun. Those are really different things. And I think part of pastorally, like our thing, is when we engage people, we have to kind of set this up and say, am I, am I talking to somebody who's just straight up unenchanted by the faith? Like it means nothing to them? It's irrelevant? Or am I talking to somebody who's disenchanted like, and it's hardened and they've radically rejected the church because there's, those are really different categories. So curious your thoughts on that. No, absolutely. Um, shout out to Father Michael Lachlan. I just listened to his podcast, What God Is Not, and they actually answered this question. Okay. Um, I think what needs to happen is if we're going to actually enchant someone who's unenchanted, we need to somehow legitimately not as if they're a project, not as if they're just an, another butt that we could put in the pew or a belt on the notch. I'm uh, sorry, a notch on the belt. Um, it has to be from a legitimate place of care and love, but we need to earn the right to be heard. So we need to engage them in friendship and engage them in community. And then we need to help them belong to something. I think the reason why we're so dealing with this question of nuns is because everything in this world, especially in our country, is individualistic. There's no community, even in the family. I walked into a family once and, you know, daughter's over here on the computer, son's over here playing video games, baby's over here crying, mom's over there doing something, dad's off working. There's no unity not even in a family anymore. And if we can bring this sense of welcome and love back into, back into the human experience and legitimate welcome and love, not you're okay, I'm okay, but I've got my heart set out entirely for you, for your good, for your success. That's how we start to enchant someone because they belong and they actually say, I'm valued and I'm worth something. For the one who's disenchanted, I actually find that more easy in a way. Because they've had the experience, there's something that's destroyed the experience. If you can actually say, again, legitimately and authentically, I will commiserate with you. I will actually say, you have a value, you have a story that I can experience, I can receive, that's, it goes so far, it goes so, so far. But it cannot be programmatic anymore. It cannot right. be something that we just simply do. And I think I told you before, off air, um, we no longer teach kids at my parish. 
for CCD or anything like that. We teach the parents. Why? Because number one, parents know their kids better than we do. And number two, if we're going to actually create a system by which the faith will be passed on, we have to make the family have the questions and have the conversation. And I can't tell you, when the parents are receiving this information, they're having their own conversion. Um, you're, I remember sharing with you my class on Mary, the church, and the sacraments. And I was just like, this is literally my Mariology course. And I was very, very proud, yeah. But they, they were shocked. They were like, how did we never hear this? And then they're eager to teach their kids. And then we give them little quizzes and they pass it on and we get them back. And then those quizzes aren't graded for a sense of, do you pass for confirmation or not? It's, here's a hole, here's a lacuna in your lesson go back and try to answer it. We give them opportunity to teach. I think we need to move away from a programmatic church and actually focus on what does it mean to be family? What does it mean to have community? Because if we don't do that, we're just going to continue to pump out sacramentalized nonverts that just don't care anymore. That's right. Yep. I love it. I love it. You got it, buddy. See? Look at this fine product out of our seminary. Uh, so good. I think uh, just to conclude, like, um, and we got to shut her down because we're getting close to the hour here. We got to do shout outs. Um, so just be thinking about as you're listening to this, like, what is the bicycle in your life? And where are you at with the bicycle? Are you unenchanted? Are you disenchanted, disenchanted, re-enchanted? Um, think about this thing. Think about these things concretely in your life as, as you were sharing. We move through these patterns in some ways day to day, but also seasonally and even through a lifetime. But the goal is to live in the resurrected Christ, which means a life of re-enchantment and not being afraid of the cross. Um, so thank you, boys. Appreciate it. Let's a do a, let's do a quick uh, shout out here. You got anybody that comes to mind? Uh, either of you? Shout outs. There you go. I know. You don't think, but I've, I want to actually shout out the, the men in my, in my own life that have helped me move from enchantment to disenchantment to re-enchantment. That's my Jesu Caritas group. So to Father Chris Atzline, pastor of St. Mary Magdalene and Gilbert, to Father Dan Vanio, parochial vicar over at San Francisco de Assis and Flagstaff, um, Father Chad Keen, pastor of St. Gabriel the Archangel in Cave Creek, and Father Daniel Cruz, Parochial Vicar at All Saints Catholic Newman Center. Nice. That's a great crew of guys. Yeah, you got some awesome priests down there. All right, Andrew. Uh, I, my, my parents listen to this podcast. So yes. Sure they're losing their minds listening to this right Well, now. to your father, I just say, you know, we'll pray for hope for the, uh, you know, coyotes and uh, the hey, season to come. we're 110 and 1 now. Hey, all right. I right, got, 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 first got win that win. Seattle. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so we got that going for us. Nice. It's a rebuilding year for the exactly. three in a row. But exactly. Uh, yeah, so that said, my, my shout-out definitely to my, my wonderful parents, uh, Glenn and Kyoko Olson. I love you guys, and I promise I will call soon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> call your mother. Um, my um, Speaking of family, my uh, grandmother Mimi passed away at the age of 96 uh, in the end of September. This is one of the things that I was uh, traveling to. I had the great privilege of preaching her funeral. In classic Barger fashion, this was a, my mom's mom. My, they're Bargers. Um, 
she was a um, had a beauty parlor, a beauty salon her whole life, and just always looked like a million bucks. And uh, a lot of people have reached out and have been praying for it. We talked about her on on Instagram, and but this woman got her nails done, got her hair done, had her best dress on, took a shot of Fireball with my cousin Adam, and then entered into eternity. And I was like, what a way to go! That is a way to go. What a way to go! But I I remember just you know she was widowed for 15 years, and there was a there was just a kind of stability and hope and peace to her person in these last years. Um, she truly died a, a re-enchanted soul, Amen. and uh, she she embodied that for our whole family. And so, um, not shouting out her because God willing, she's in heaven now. She's had a lot of masses offered for her, um, but uh, great to see people finish well and uh, to move through these phases of life and then ultimately enter into uh, the eternal life uh, of re-enchantment in Christ in the beatific vision. So. To Mimi and to the Barger family for a wonderful few days together uh, as a family. I thank them and I shout them out. All right. Hey, you got a gift for this man. You're good. You should think about starting a podcast. So, um, Let's give me another few years just for the sake of my own sanity and the sanctification of the church. There you go. And to Kitty and Eisenbeel, uh, Kitty, Eisen, Kitty Eisenbeel and, and Blaze Eisenbeel who brought this scotch from the UK and gave it to me. I'm really grateful we could share it on such a, a good night. So Yeah, no, seriously, that was delicious. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's time for bed. We got we got a 5.30 wake up for holy hour. So, Ke- uh, Father Kevin, great to have you back. It's good to be back. It really is. And Andrew Olson, love you, man. So grateful to have you here. So thanks for joining us tonight. Not what I thought I'd be doing. Exactly. All right, catholicstuffpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and uh, we will see you next week. Thank you.